Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. Twenty twenty two. It's a Here new we year. Go. Here we go. New year, new us. Same cowboys. Oh, starting early. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's only uh, one thing. Okay. I'm a diehard. I'm a diehard. Diehard. Eagles fan, all right? Uh-huh. And for any of those people who are going, uh, buh, bandwagon, bee, bee. <laughs> who would jump on the Eagles bandwagon? Well, they want to, uh, did they win a Super Bowl more recently than you? so long ago. Was it? <laughs> Tom Brady was still playing, which that's only been for the last, like, 22 years. Yeah. So, dad grew up in Philly. My dad's always been an Eagles fan. We were in, like, mm. South Central Jersey, which New Jersey's a weird place. South Central is kind of like Philly fan people. Mm. Northern New Jersey tends to be Giants. Southern New Jersey tends to be Jets fans. Just want to give the geography of one of the third smallest states <laughs> so in the, the United only States. Jets fan base is, like, South Jersey, but not South Central. Not South Central. Amazing. So... I don't think I've ever met your dad. No? Mm. At a baptism? Something? I feel like you have. But, okay. So, Eagles fan, diehard. Obviously, the Super Bowl was huge for us. All of that. But, you know, I did not have... So, compared to the Cowboys, we went into Sunday. I fully, even though I'm a diehard fan and rooted for my team, and had hope knew going in. I was like, they're facing Tom Brady. They're they're done. Okay. They're not I mean, and they've kind of peaked. I think you could agree on this. I think the Eagles peaked a little bit a year or two early. Like they've been building up these draft picks, rebuilding yeah. year. No, no I'll, I'll I didn't expect them to make the playoffs. <clears throat> no one did. So just being there was like, oh, good for you. If it was a sixteen playoff like it normally is, they wouldn't even made it, right? I saw a, a meme where you know that that meme with the the office, and they're asking like Pam from the office to tell the difference between the pictures, and she says it's the same picture. Yeah, and this was like first round by or playing the Eagles, and she's like, it's the same picture, same picture, first there round by. That's a good one. So I probably- love explaining memes. <laughs> Over the airwaves. <laughs> the airwaves. <laughs> um, so, I was like, yeah, three quarters of the way through the game, I just went outside and started raking leaves because I was like, this game's done. But then, my day was redeemed. Mm. Because there's only one thing Eagle fans like more than an Eagles win. And that's a it's Cowboys true. loss. It's true. They do like it more. <laughs> like there's actually more satisfaction. And you want to talk about memes. There are so many <sighs> Cowboy memes out there. I know we're we're losing tons of subscribers and I'm okay with tens. It. Tens. <laughs> tens. Tens of ones of <laughs> subscribers. Um, but here's the thing. If we just go into sports for a minute. Be honest. They did not deserve to win that game. Hypothetically, that ball's spotted, okay, on the last play. And Dak gets off a throw. And they miraculously catch it, win the game. 
they did not deserve to win that game. I firmly believe that there has been a conspiracy by the refs oh against the Cowboys from the beginning. Of what time? And that if you They've can, won five Super Bowls. If you go and look over the course of this season in particular, but not just this season, the last 25 years, you'll see. Spoken like a true Cowboys fan. Now, hot take. I don't know if you heard this controversy. I'm curious of your... I'm always saddened by these things as like working in the church world, but to just kind of bring sports and faith together. And I know it is very hard. I can't imagine in the moment of pouring yourself out and then being made mandatory to go to interviews, right, Uh, with reporters. It's got to be the worst situation but reporters kind of love it because these guys are on edge. They're, you mm-hmm. know, like it feeds the media, but it can't be healthy, right? Mm-hmm. So did you hear Dak Prescott's? Yeah. So yeah. so the fans were throwing trash on the field. And at first, I think he thought it was at the Cowboys. And then right, he, he gave this corrected. whole long rant in yeah. the press conference about... We pour our hearts out. We give everything. We want to win. We think we're going to win. Da 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 da. And then a reporter kind of corrects him. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Corrects him and and says, "No, I think that was at the at the refs at the referees." And what he said, he said, he, "Good what, for them." Yeah, he said, uh, "Well, well, good for them." And then everybody laughed, and they was like, "Yeah, good for them." And he, I, I saw this morning that, you know. That he did apologize and he felt really bad for it. And that makes sense because Dak's a pretty upstanding guy. And That's he, what I was going to say. I was surprised because he, he's he seemed... won that award for being like community guy, didn't he? <laughs> don't they? I don't know what these things are called. Is that the uh, Walter Payton Award yeah, or that whatever? One. Yeah. I'm going to look up the definition of the Walter Payton Award. Yeah. Community I'm guy. I'm sure it says community guy somewhere in there. Um, but yeah, he was uh, he was clearly frustrated and he said something uncharacteristic. And um, and everybody immediately knew, like, this is out of character for him. And also, this is really inappropriate to say. Like, you can't condone that kind of behavior right? Uh, by the fans. When I played sports at, at a very high level sometimes. Um, Competitive golf. <laughs> D3 independent. <laughs> <laughs> Getting destroyed by all the other teams. Um when I played sports, especially other sports besides golf, like team sports that involved a referee, um, yeah. I was always get mad at the referee guy. Like I felt like it was so. It makes sense that there you was something the unfair. Right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I understand, but it's always like, I mean, how many times can you think where where like the refs actually changed? the course of a game that wasn't already sort of headed, you know, like, sure, refereeing decisions have, have like, decided the course of a very close game, and yeah. one team goes on and one doesn't right. because of a close thing. But there's always tons of stuff leading up to there. And I don't yeah. I don't know over the over the course of a whole game if one team could could say, like, we did everything perfectly. <laughs> we didn't we didn't miss any chances. Right. Um and then the ref snatched it out of our hands. Yeah. Like, I mean, Troy Aikman, who is a homer, 
right? Like, yeah. I can't stand listening to, you know, all these national broadcasters <laughs> of like, you got Romo, you got Aikman. Like Michael all, Irvin? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's fine. I don't listen to the NFL Network. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like both of them as commentators. You can definitely tell at times a bias towards the Cowboys. I mean, especially Tony. Tony is like a fanboy. Mm-hmm. And my issue is like, even Aikman said, you got to get the ball to the ref. Like, yeah. and, and my wife said, which, you know, is a good, is a good comment back is like, but you know, in the moment that's hard, you know, like that anxiety's going all of that, like, but that's why they get paid millions and they practice that people are, would actually be surprised situations like that have been practiced in training camp oh, in yeah. regular drills to say you got 20 seconds left now. So I blame, yeah, and they should, I blame Mike second, McCarthy. How it, That's yeah, who I blame. No, I, I think it was poorly coached. Um, you got to throw an outpost there, get to the sideline. <laughs> why run it? Why risk the run? Why not just take two shots at the end zone? Yeah. His arm is great. Yeah. I mean, take why, why aren't we the coach? Well, I would turn down the job, (laughs) but if you offered me a coaching job and said, take your pick, I'm not sure if I would go for head coach. I'd probably go, uh, DC. I'd probably go (laughs) defensive coordinator just cause you don't want like the blame or what? No, I think like that's, uh, that's where my gifts would really shine. Defense, (laughs) defensive coordinator. There you go. So I do have a faith related question. I've, I've been asked this before. We've never gotten to it on the podcast. Um, cause we do hear every now and then about pretty faithful, um, Catholic players throughout the NFL. Mm. Okay. You hear of like, Hey, this guy's a pretty faithful Catholic. Um, how does that, do you know anything about the faith side in sports of like, are there chaplains? Are there, mm. you think they yeah. go to mass at a church on a Saturday, but they have meetings all of Saturday and then Sunday they're at the stadium. Do Are there private masses celebrated? Like any insights to the world mm-hmm. of sports and faith? <clears throat> yeah. So I know that when, when teams are traveling and I think just game weekend, even for home teams, like there's a pretty strict routine that they follow. They're basically quarantined from the world for, you know, the day before and the morning of. Um, and I know that there is a a sort of normal chaplain for each team. I've met some of them before. Like I'm not going to say who it is in Dallas, but I think there's a priest who regularly will go and celebrate mass for the Cowboys, for instance. Mm. Or will regularly go and celebrate mass for whatever away team. <coughs> Excuse me. Rough morning. <laughs> whatever away team. <laughs> yeah, it's seven p.m. right now. No. Um, whatever away team is is in town. Uh, I actually almost got a chance to celebrate mass for uh, UT when they were in town for the 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 Cotton Bowl. Not oh. not, not the Cotton Bowl, but when, the re- when they played OU. Uh, uh, yeah. At the Cotton Bowl. The Red River Red, Shootout. Red River Shootout. Um, Excuse me. Red River Rivalry. 
they changed it because shootout is too <laughs> offensive. There's another one that's still called shootout, isn't it? I don't know. In like Ohio or something. You almost got invited to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also like I've met. Dude, you ever need an altar server? I'm there. <laughs> That's right. Who's this 36 year old altar <laughs> server? Up in a, in a cassock and surplus, real quick. Uh, or get you an owl with like the little the colors on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I met uh, a chaplain for a, a Super Bowl winning team one time. Um, I'm not going to say who or what team or anything, but uh, I think it just kind of. I, I don't know if each diocese has a different system or if it's just sort of random how it happens and then whatever presents up with that. But yeah, but I think that's the model for pro sports is that they make accommodations for those who are religious, but that accommodation looks like having a chaplain come into the, the hotel where they're staying or whatever place they're at and saying a mass and, I've always heard that it's 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 a pretty quick affair. Like there's not a, a whole lot of time for for making a a prolonged like Thanksgiving after mass. Um you have to you have to be moving because they're on a they're on right. a schedule. Um but as to the like the bigger question, um I've just always heard it's very, very difficult to um to play sports at a high level and to uh, take your face seriously. Mm. And so it's, it's always kind of like the outliers that you see who are, who are able to do that. And that's, I think for two reasons, one, um, just all the fame and money and people just throwing themselves at you. Yeah. Like there's, <laughs> you're in, in the midst of like all possible temptation. Um, and because these guys are normally, not terribly mature mm-hmm. um like a lot of them are are practically kids yeah extremely talented athletically and even um mentally mature for their sport but maybe they don't like they've never had to live life in a, yeah. in sort of a real world way uh i mean if we go by science a lot are under 25 their frontal like yeah, lobe has not like even fully developed developed yet um, so that's, that's one of the, the challenges I think it's just, that's not the, the dominant lifestyle and it's going to be really easy to go along with the dominant lifestyle. But then the other thing is like to get to that high of a level in anything, you have to devote yourself so much. Like their entire life is just training yeah. and, and like, I mean, especially for, for guys who are really at the top, like. Like everything is regulated and do you really have time <laughs> to put God at the center of your life Yeah. when um, something else so obviously is taking center stage? Uh, and so I, I think it's, it's gotta be really difficult. And that was, that was something actually um, that I realized what a blessing that I'm not better at sports <laughs> <laughs> what a blessing to be mediocre. No, I, I, yeah. I, I recognized it when I was, uh, when I was, um, I guess sort of middle of college and I'd started taking my faith really seriously and, yeah. and I'd always grown up wanting to be a pro athlete somehow. Mm. I think that's like every, you know, 
kids. Every kid's dream, um, at least for a while. Right. And even to be a pro golfer, like that's that's a little different lifestyle than something like an NBA player. Yeah. But just recognizing like how difficult that has to be um, while you're when when you're trying to to put your faith first. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> crazy to think about. Yeah. But I guess you could apply that principle to anything, right? Mm. You know, in the sense of like somebody like who being makes, a CEO. Yeah. And, like you all, know, these, you, all these demands. Yeah. Because the sacrifice is found. I mean, you hear for as much as we've dove into the sports world, we've watched a lot of documentaries. We have followed a lot of like great athletes, different things. I mean, I think I've heard from uh what was it? I was reading an article about Nick Saban, maybe early on. I don't know if he still does this, but just like during the season has a bed, like like a built in bed, like in his office because it's just Oh yeah, hours for coaches. And fa- like right. like I mean coaches and all of that and like I I mean it's just that's why I'd want to be a defensive coordinator at most. Like <laughs> as if they don't <laughs> work hard and I love that this episode is about sports too. This is my wheelhouse. So last question about sports. Um so just personal opinion, like so do they fire Mike McCarthy? I don't think so. Um the reasons I've heard for why they might fire him, besides the fact that he's not really delivering on the high expectations that were that were set. Um, the main reasons seem to be that they would uh, want to hire either their offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, Kellen Moore or Dan Quinn, um, who are both being interviewed for head coaching jobs elsewhere. They've both become like potentially desirable prospects. Yeah. And Dan he, Quinn seems like a good guy. Yeah, he's got a Super Bowl, right? No, remember the Falcons, how they <laughs> lost that he's Super Bowl? been to a Super he's Bowl. He's been to a Super and Bowl then, and led three three quarters and, and 12 had, minutes in, and then the greatest comeback in a Super Bowl by Tom Brady. Remember <laughs> Patriots, Falcons, remember this? Yeah. Ring a bell? A little bit. Um, Didn't we watch that here? What? I, don't, I don't know I don't what year, what that, year was. that was. Okay. Um. I might have still been in Rome. Anyway, uh, yeah, but that's that's the reason I've heard for for like the theory about the firing of McCarthy is is they would they would get him because they really wanted to keep Kellen Moore or really wanted to keep Dan Quinn and keep them from being hired somewhere else, and so they would elevate one of them to head coach. But I don't know if the Cowboy I I don't know if those guys want to be a coach of the Cowboys, right? And I don't know if the Cowboys want them to be the head coach, and it also just doesn't seem like a a Jerry Jones type thing. Yeah, to to fire McCarthy after he like personally chose him, and especially for how long he kept Jason Garrett, who was <laughs> a terrible coach. So he's kind of into keeping terrible coaches mm-hmm. and running off the good ones, like yeah. Jimmy Johnson and his feud. So. Um, so who are you going for rest of the playoffs? Uh, I am firmly behind, uh, <laughs> Tom Brady now, TB12. TB12, the plant man. The bucks. <laughs> um, I just want to see, see the, the legend continue. I mean, it's kind of cool. 
Yeah. It, it, it's our Jordan story. Who We both grew up with Jordan. I can tell stories about watching Jordan. But that wasn't like now as like our age where we're following sports a little closer. Our brain is fully matured. <laughs> fully matured. We and can, now is in a state of decay. Yeah, yeah. We can dispose <laughs> of knowledge that like we don't need. Like get rid of some Hebrew, a <laughs> little bit of Latin words, all those things, and then just devote it to learning about this. Um, yeah, I've been watching that show, Man in the Arena, which yeah, is the yeah. one on Tom Brady, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. Um, ESPN? Yeah, but once again, it's just, it's kind of crazy, like the story, and but what he did and went through and continues to do, and like ways he's just decided to push his body to last to 40 two or four how old is he 44 42 he's 70 (laughs) (laughs) i mean think about this i thought he was 43 let me see i'm just splitting the difference i don't really know 44 years old Mm. and he's destroying 20 some year old quarterbacks it's amazing gives me hope that if i just and he said (laughs) Tom Brady recently said, get this quote, he fully believes he could play in the NFL until he's 50 years old. Yeah. Brady recently upped it, uh, upped the ante when he asked, when asked if he could play at 55 years young. Brady, who is currently 44, doesn't think that playing another 11 years would be an issue, at least from a physical standpoint. It's whether he wants to or not. He can leave anytime he wants. I mean, compared to like Ben Roethlisberger, who mm-hmm. just re you know yeah. most likely is just retiring. All of that terrible game against the Chiefs, <laughs> right? Like they didn't even show up. I mean, he looks like he can barely walk. Mm-hmm. He hasn't even played nearly as long. I think he's younger than Brady. And Brady, I mean, <clears throat> he's just yeah here here. Drew Brees, younger, 43, retired. Ben Roethlisberger, 39, retired. Aaron Rodgers, Mr. Man Bun himself, um, 38 years old. Like, how is he doing it? Shout out to our former uh, pastoral year seminarian, Greg Scatini, who is a huge Packers fan. Huge and Packers fan. we both hate Aaron Rodgers. So, hate strong, other, hate strong, severely disliked. the Super Bowl. Really? I I mean you're oh you're not saying you're rooting for no, them. No, no, no. You're saying I think that they could they could win. Yeah. I'm kind of going Bills or Bengals. That would be cool. For I think that would be that'd be fun to see one of them. Yeah. One of them take it. But yeah, I I mean some of it's got to be Brady's style of play, right? He never threw himself into like getting like he wasn't a running quarterback, famously so. Yeah. Um but also it's he's probably just one of these freak of nature guys. Mm-hmm. And he also holds up his his personal training regimen uh as a, a key. Yeah. His diet and everything. Is there anybody else that we see in any sport <clears throat> who's like border on that level of like Federer? Yeah. <laughs> tennis isn't a real sport is that where I, you're going? I did not say tennis is not a real sport tennis is a very physically demanding competitive sport i i've grown an appreciation for it once i moved 
to Coppell. There's a lot of tennis players in Coppell and um, teens who have gone through the program. Actually, our current seminarian, we're just tossing out all the seminarians. Yeah. Our current one, Alex Fry, who does not listen to the podcast, so he'll never even know. Um, so everybody who does listen and see him on Sunday, just say, hey, I heard about you on the podcast. Yeah, so I was his youth minister mm-hmm. in Ennis 12 years ago when I was young-ish. Mm-hmm. And Tom Brady had already won like five Super Bowls by that time. Um, he grew up in Ennis. He played tennis. I remember going to see him play a tennis match. In That's Ennis, how you remember Texas. it. Yeah. Grew up in Ennis, played tennis. Yeah. So Ennis little... and tennis. <laughs> the tennis players in Ennis. So, um, yeah, he played tennis. It, and, I mean, it's kind of crazy right now what's happening in the world of Oh, tennis, tennis with Djokovic. Djokovic and, you know, yeah, Australia, like not letting them in, letting them in, not letting them in. He's there practicing, get out. And they're making ne- an example of him. Yeah, for sure. But do you think they're actually going to ban him for three years? <laughs> I think they might. That's crazy. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Okay. Yeah. I got one faith question because all of our faith listeners have held on this long. 20 some minutes in if they haven't ended the episode because of sports, but yeah, our true heroically. listeners, the sports. Well, I mean, we haven't done this in a long time, gone yeah. into that much sports. It's good. Um, I recently listened to a podcast from an organization called VR church. So there is a new, I, I know you're already laughing, but it's kind of intriguing. Okay. <laughs> so there is a new, um, like bear with me, bear with me. <laughs> So VR Church, um, essentially what it is, like virtual reality. And I think, let me just set aside a few things. I think when we think for people our age, virtual reality, we're like, what is this like, you know, putting on a headset and seeing like blocky, like the technology has come so far. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is literally like if you've ever seen the movie Ready Player One, Mm -hmm. right? Like very lifelike very realistic um that's a great movie by the way i really enjoyed it i did not get the full range of video game like shout outs throughout the movie the whole thing was references but i got some of them um but are you did you read the book no nikki read the book and she liked the book better but it was good um so here's a their description okay says vr church VR Church in the Metaverse. VR Church is a spiritual community which exists entirely in the Metaverse to celebrate God's love for the world. We believe church can be anywhere, anytime, with anyone, even in the Metaverse. The Metaverse is an immersive virtual reality experience where we can work, socialize, and even go to church. Now, in no way does everybody back up before they're writing their bishop being like, they're saying we should have like the mass in the metaverse and mm-hmm. all of this. No, we understand like, yeah, back the, to our valid invalid. Yeah. Episode. Valid like invalid. It's, it's, it's uh, invalid illicit. Well, if you were actually celebrating mm-hmm. with Brett, so this would be a crazy situation. Say you're wearing one of those VR headsets, right? Uh-huh. Now I'm afraid of where this is. Exactly. It's, it's probably like, I don't know. Well, okay. So you have a VR headset on, mm-hmm. right? 
and you're in the metaverse. But you're actually like physically like celebrating with like true bread, you know, bread, wine, like all all the valid components. Mm-hmm. Is that saying invalid? Ma- saying mass properly, but wearing a headset. What's the difference between us putting a camera on and streaming it? <sighs> <laughs> because I, and I'm not saying like, oh yeah, that's that, you know, but like imagine that for, and I'm not advocating for that, but I'm just saying like, it's interesting that, I mean, the people that still think like the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Twitters, all that, like that was one level of like, that's, I think they reference it as like web two or something like that. Web one, web two. Mm. This is a whole new area that, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like hearing some of the testimonies of these people that are kind of in the metaverse that come to know and find God. And I'm not saying it can end there, mm-hmm. but like, I mean, I don't even think the Catholic Church is thinking about things like this, which I I'm think certainly not right. But I think that's areas we have to go and be bold and almost be whatever it is made fun of. Like, and I'm not saying in regards to the mass, but just saying like, yeah, why couldn't we have a VR virtual reality small group like? Because people, you know, make their own avatars. People can be anonymous and also be more open to sharing and coming to know, like, the love that God has for them. It can't end there. We want to get them in the building. Mm -hmm. But for the people that, I mean, there's people, they share testimonies of people that have been homebound way before COVID, right? They're wheelchair bound. They have no caretakers, no things that are, for the first time, getting to hear like the message of Jesus Christ because of these virtual reality headsets and different things like that. I mean, I don't know, just, I won't make you answer the question if it's valid or invalid, the other thing, but going towards this, like this is where sometimes if I'm being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and I want your opinion on it, this is where I feel like we continue to be behind the times as the Catholic church, which is sad to me because for the longest time, how many years would you say like when they're like, we were the ones who started the hospital system, uh, uh, the hospital system, the cat, you know, Catholic, mm-hmm. Catholic schools, paintings, art. We were the leaders in all these things, music. When did that stop at the reformation? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know if it's as, <laughs> as easy, easy as that, but because, because I mean, like the church is always, there's always innovation and there's always like adherence to tradition. Right. And so the church is always really slow um, in certain senses, but also like always doing new things in other senses. And yeah, um, my, my hesitation that I'm trying to think through is the same kind of thing that I was hesitating about years and years ago i remember like when when i was in in university going to to lectures about like just not not lectures but but like teacher panels that they would have at ud yeah where they would kind of just have a discussion and try and try and really break open a topic and and analyze it from different perspectives but like 
are internet friendships real friendships? And so trying to to understand, like, okay, you've you've known somebody over the internet. You feel like you know them quite well. Mm-hmm. There's something true there, but also like, how is it different? Right. And it seems like that same kind of thing, where, like, there's. There's, yeah, it seems like there's a lot of good, a lot of evangelical opportunity. Um, but we also, if we're going to sort of wade into the, into that foray, is that how the term goes? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> if, if we're going to go in that direction, uh, even just for the sake of evangelizing and then saying like, now come meet us in person. Um, I think we have to have a, an understanding of like, where this this kind of thing leads yeah right which is that that's my immediate hesitation right that i'm trying to think through is like but i think if it's if it's that good right right, and that attractive to people is it leading them away from reality into a reality substitute that they prefer to reality yeah um and not that you know it's our job to fix all that that's not something that anybody can really control yeah um how like how people use these things but um but if we're going to be involved in it we also want to know kind of the holistic like where does this fit right in our view of the human person and and relations between people and right because what but i heard it sounds like you're comparing this a little bit more to a facebook group and i'm comparing it a little bit more because of how real the experience is to almost a zoom meeting okay yeah so like are you opposed to a small bible study meeting over zoom no um but if they could meet in person i think that's better right yes which is the same kind of kind of nuance i'm trying to get here right like like where do these things sort of rank in relation to each other in terms of human relationships and making that possible. Yeah. My issue though comes in where I believe the church says, I don't know where it fits. Let's not do it. Mm. Like, I I don't feel like we push into that issue. Go be bold and then, and then figure it out. And you're also not going to know it until you you get into that arena. Like how many people, (laughs) people, how many churches have stopped like, streaming be having online presence um you know now that like you know the pandemic isn't where it was in the beginning and it only brought us up to like the state of technology like like the proper state of technology in the church what it should be because that's all we had for like a month or whatever it was or two months and to me that's sad in the sense like Father Edwin gave a really good homily, I thought, this past weekend. Um, That's where I told you that story where he started. I'll just derail for one second. He started by saying, hey, anybody ever been to the Holy Land? And my son Dominic, who's nine, next to me is like, yeah, like raises his (laughs) hand. I'm like, Dom, you've not been to the Holy Land. He's like, what? I was like, Dom, you've ne- you've not been to the Holy Land. He said the Holy Land. He's like, oh, sorry. I thought you said heaven. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Have you had the beatific vision? 
<laughs> like what is happening right now and that was oh it God. and then I'm he just sorry. like went back to like looking at father edwin i was like what is going on i had so many questions anyway so i thought it was a great homily i was able to direct people to that i'm not saying it didn't replace those who couldn't physically be present to receive the eucharist i'm not in any way saying mm-hmm. like that's not the source and summit of our faith all these things but for us to be able to point back and say hey you know, we talked about the wedding feast at Cana. He gave this challenge. Go back, listen to his homily. I encourage you. Like, take some notes. Yeah, no, that's right? huge. Like, that's that's obviously a good thing. But I feel like we're one of few churches now that does it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because I feel like it comes to a lack of like a lack of excellency in the sense of like I feel the Catholic Church is not willing to go and to press into certain things because it's like, well, we don't really know how this will play out all this. And I'm like, that couldn't have been the case at certain things when they started like Catholic schools or the hospital system or this being like, like they were innovators, right? Yeah. Like creating new alphabets, like Cyrillic alphabet. That's where Um, I'm just struggling. I don't know. Yeah. No, it, it does seem like there's, like there are some reasons maybe I could throw out, but they wouldn't be the reason. Like the reason I think is a lack of missionary zeal, right? If if we now go yeah go into we, what you mean by that for people that like where they're like okay missionary zeal I'm not going to a third world country like what do you mean by missionary zeal? So Saint Francis Xavier, um, love love one of, him. He's one awesome. of the initial companions of Saint Ignatius. Um, he famously like would sort of go around and, and yell out, or at least he did once, or at least the story got attributed to him, whatever, um, would yell out in the University of Paris, like the leading ecclesiastical university at the time, which were kind of the only ones, because um, we invented the university. Uh, <clears throat> he would yell out... Boom. <laughs> like, drop. like, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel mm. from from St. Paul. Um and uh, I, I forget his exact exact quote, but it's like you're here studying theology while there are people who are dying who have never heard the gospel. And so um, his was a call to to the missions and not just to, you know, go very far away like he himself did. Yeah. But to bear the good news of, of Jesus Christ to everybody that you meet uh, to make sure that no one can say that they have not heard this um, in in a meaningful way. Yeah. Right. Um, in in the Pauline sense of like preaching the gospel, um, uh, in an, in an effective sense, and so that same desire for people to know and to come to love um, Jesus Christ that would drive St. Francis Xavier to go to people who were doing like good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like the intellectual, I'm very much into the intellectual life. Um, I think it's first of all, super grateful for the, the intellectual opportunities I've had. Right. It still remains a big part of my life. And one that when I neglect it, I, I feel it, it, it has an effect on me. Um, I think it's, it's really important, but it's the kind of good thing that can lead you away from the best thing, which, which is 
is being this missionary disciple of Christ. Saying like, there's nothing more important, like like my reason for, for being, my reason for living is to follow Jesus Christ as his disciple and to bear witness to the work that he's done in my life. Yeah. Like that's the thing uh, around which everything else falls into place and um, is relativized in that sense. Like right. all my other obligations. It, so I don't know why I'm making it so sound so complicated, but like the point is if we really had that that zeal to make sure that like all the people around us who don't know the love of Christ, whether or not like they've they've heard of of what the gospel is before, like a lot of people have just heard the terms and don't really know what it's about. Um, yeah. But if we really had that zeal, um, it would drive us into like using whatever means possible to communicate that message. Yeah. No matter what kind of like perception people had of us right we could be a fool for christ yeah um become all things to all people just like it's it's very pauline um but it doesn't also drive us and just articulate it there's a fine line between being like saint paul and being like you know martin luther <laughs> you know okay. like you know what i mean like i bet there was some zeal there in the beginning of like oh, yeah, scriptures no. and that no, and for then, sure. but it was just like I can't let this go. Right? Like Yeah, yeah. So what is what is a true reform look like? And right. what and does like I would hope yeah. that like like a, a thing I've been wanting for years that we just experience and it's just because it's fresh with Christmas. You have all these people that come back for Christmas Day Mass. And some will say that's great. And I would say it's interesting to me because I don't feel like the mass is where they need to be. They haven't come in a year. Like they're not really participating that much. Like I feel like there's some abuse of, you know, the Eucharist and, and, and liturgy there. Like these are events where it's like, where do we figure out what that event looks like to say, Hey, we would like to invite you into something that could first just like improve your relationship with the Lord and, you know, get you back on this path so that, you know, the mass then makes sense that like the Eucharist is the source and summit. And that if we understood, we would be crawling on our knees, you know, like the saints said, um, I don't know. It's just something that I, I think that the church has some area to grow in, but I'm not really sure, you know, who, I don't think that's this is not this is not a slight towards the bishops or the pope or anything like that but I don't I don't know who's like who's pushing us in that way like mm-hmm. lay employees like you, you know like you have so much on your plate as a priest that it's like I don't think any priests are sitting like hey how could we like have a VR small group so that we could ultimately invite people into you know like the love and mercy of Jesus Christ but it's mm-hmm. just it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. Yeah, it it really is. So I've been reading a little bit about St. Charles Borromeo recently. Mm. Um who's a great reformer saint. Am I making this up? Wasn't he in Philly for a little bit? 
No, there's a seminary. Seminary. In Philly, in there you go. Named after him. No, he was Archbishop Wait, of Milan who was in the, the 1500s. Okay, who was the saint though? Like early on in the pandemic, they were quoting like Bellarmine. Was it that he like went out during and would give communion? Like figured out a way six feet away, you know, like a reach. Yeah, like, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. I think that's Saint Robert Bellarmine. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But maybe I knew also there was Charles something Bormeo. with St. Charles Borromeo in Philadelphia. So shout out seminary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coming full circle back to Philly. Um, he, uh, I, I was just reading a, a little kind of introduction to some of his writings and like he lived in such, <laughs> such a desolate time um, in the church. Like the, the introduction starts off by just, talking about how like how ignorant the clergy were like they were not well trained at all um and uh nobody well you you can never paint with that broad of a a brush but like he had 700 something priests in his diocese yeah archdiocese of milan um and i think there were like 400,000 uh catholics everybody was catholic um <laughs> And it said that like priests were living openly with concubines um, and uh, just the state of like uh, bishops weren't living in their diocese. Sometimes dioceses were given, multiple dioceses were given to one bishop, mm. like priests weren't living in their parish. So just there was a lot of sort of absentee uh, kind of father. Um and he had an enormous impact on reforming the life of the church. And so there was a contrast between him and like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and, and these guys mm. in that they thought it was a problem with doctrine. Like, like they're both looking at the same problem and they're saying, this is not <laughs> what the church should look like. Um, like nobody's, this is not what the followers of Jesus Christ should look like. Right. And the early Protestant reformers uh, very quickly got to a point where they're saying, it's an issue of doctrine. It's because because all of these, these Catholics believe the wrong thing. And that's why the church doesn't look like it should. Right. Um, but guys like St. Robert Bellarmine, uh, St. Charles Borromeo, uh, both of them actually, uh, they said, no, 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 it, it's not an issue of doctrine. It's just a matter of like living your faith. Mm. Nobody's nobody's trying. Nobody's actually living it. A lot of people don't know what it is, but maybe they th they think they know all there is to know and they, they really have just a very skewed idea yeah. of everything. And the leaders aren't living their faith and the people aren't living their faith. And so that was his his big reforming effort was to start with himself and he's a, a very interesting story because he could have easily just been like a classic case of nepotism in the church. His his uncle was a one of the Medici's mm. who was named Pope and then named Charles to be like Secretary of State for the Vatican, for the Papal States, mm. um, and a cardinal when he was 21. Uh, he wasn't even like a priest or anything. And... Like he basically has this conversion and decides to start living holiness in as radical a way as he can. 
And it doesn't sound like he had a big plan for how to reform things around him. That just developed. It had to start with him like living in the truth. Um, and that had kind of a ripple effect around him. And then, and then he could start to see, okay, well, this is like, I'm going to move now that I've been made Archbishop of Milan, I'm actually going to move there. And, um, the impact of the Archbishop, like living out this call to holiness in a radical way, is going to, to sort of begin this process of reform around him. And so that's, I mean, that's a roundabout way of getting back to your, your question. Yeah. But I think it's kind of the only way, like we, we really want to look to like big systems and big vision. Like if we can all just get behind this, this like vision for evangelization, that's definitely, there's an important place for that. But yeah, but really, like it starts with us living the call to holiness in a radical way, and trusting that that's going to have an effect on the rest of the church. Yeah, um, because as we live the call to holiness in a radical way, Jesus conforms our heart after His, and it starts to take on that missionary zeal. It's not something that you can just keep to yourself. Maybe yeah. somebody hears that and they're like, "Well, what good does it do if?" I'm just living this way by myself, but not actually making an effort to go out and to spread it. And it's like, if you're living that way as a, a, a disciple of Christ, first and foremost, like he's going to lead you into places where you have a missionary effect. Mm-hmm. He's going to send you out in different ways. And like, you might not know how that is until you sort of find yourself in this in this position or this, this door opens and, right. And you're like, Oh, I could, I could choose a life of like taking a promotion that would require a lot more work and I would make a lot more money. Or I could choose this other thing, which has presented itself, which I know will have this, this great good effect on the life of the church. And like, it's, it's those kind of decisions and not saying like, like, I guess what I'm saying, that's the kind of thing that living as a disciple of Christ leads you to. Yeah. Is those kind of decisions. And but to make that decision beforehand isn't normally a fruitful thing. Maybe it could be. Yeah. I don't know. I'm talking myself in circles a little bit. But So you're saying there's a chance. VR church. <laughs> Here it comes. No. I'm just, just waiting for me to take a breath. See. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we love you all as listeners. Uh, stannparish.org slash PTP, prodigal and the priest at gmail.com. Love to hear from you on behalf of Joey Scancella, Father Paul Bechter. Take care. God bless.